spiritual but not religious. This way of self-identifying has seen a sharp increase right along with those who claim no religious affiliation at all. It wasn't long ago that these religious nuns and these spiritual but not religious and those claiming no particular religious belief system were making headlines in magazines and newspapers around the country. In 2008, a study by the Pew Research Center showed that 26% of Americans identified as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular when asked about their belief system. In a similar study by the Pew Research Center, 27% of adults said that they thought of themselves as spiritual but not religious. This identification of spiritual but not religious is not an uncommon one. I've used it before myself. It is one that often blends humility and trepidation. On the one hand, it's an act of humility because it is an acknowledgement that there is more into this world than we may know. But there's also a bit of hesitation. Many are cautious not to align themselves with the history of greed, hatred, and injustice that has been perpetrated by religious institutions. Spiritual but not religious seems like an optimal answer to the question, what do you believe? At first glance, the ministry of Jesus may even appear to support this stance. Most of Jesus' harshest critics were religious leaders. Likewise, most of his harshest criticisms were levied right back at the same religious leaders of his time. But before we throw out the baby with the bathwater, let's consider for a moment where many of these debates took place. Quite often, they were on the way to or immediately following Jesus' time spent in a synagogue. Jesus was by no means spiritual, but not religious. Jesus was deeply rooted in his religious tradition. He certainly did not approve of the corruption of his religion by those sworn to protect it, but he didn't run away from his religion because of those misdeeds of those in authority. In fact, it was just the opposite. Jesus dug in his heels and never wavered in his faith. He even sought to protect the faith by challenging those whose venomous words were corrupting it. So here we are on the first Sunday after the Epiphany. We've celebrated the incarnation of God in human flesh during Christmas. And now, during the season of Epiphany, we celebrate the revelation of God in this world. And our first reading, our first gospel reading of this revelation as Jesus doing what? He's being baptized. A ritual cleaning in his Jewish religion that has roots as far back as when the laws were given to Moses. If you look at all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will find that the first appearance of Jesus as an adult is at his baptism, a religious ceremony. For those of us here this morning, it is safe to say that we might not consider ourselves spiritual, but not religious. After all, we're joining together in prayers and practices that stretch back almost two millennia. However, we aren't religious instead of spiritual. We're actually religious 
because we are spiritual. We believe that there is something beyond our material selves that unites us to each other and to the divine presence of God. Because of this, the last thing we want to do is shut off our spiritual selves from each other. Instead, we come together weekly. You might even say we do it religiously. We come together and say in unison the prayers and hymns that have united countless generations before us. We commune together at the Holy Communion. We do this regularly so our spirit is more able to recognize the Holy Spirit that is both in us and in our neighbor. The more we practice this religion, the more we are aware of our connection with everyone and everything else in this world. As a part of this understanding, we begin our spiritual journeys in the same way that Jesus began his, with baptism. With baptism, we are outwardly acknowledging the inward spiritual grace which God has given us. Grace to be united with Christ in his death and resurrection. Grace to be born into the body of Christ. Grace to be forgiven for our sins. And grace of a new life in the Holy Spirit. Even in this moment, it is a spiritual journey that we take, not as individuals, but as a united body. As the baptized and the family of the baptized respond to the baptismal covenant, the congregation joins right in and reaffirms their baptismal covenants as well. We all stand together. When the officiant asks those being baptized those three questions of Trinitarian faith, do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? And we all answer in unison with the words of the Apostles' Creed. We answer just as millions before us have answered using words that appear as far back as the 4th century. And then there are those five questions of commitment to the body of Christ, which we again Answer as one. Will you continue in the apostles' teachings and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in the prayers? And we answer, we will, with God's help. Will you persevere in resisting evil, and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? And together we say, we will, with God's help. Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? And once again, we say it together, we will with God's help. Will you seek to serve Christ and all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? And all together we say, we will with God's help. Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of of every human being. And we will, with God's help. When we make these promises time and time again, we are not only committing ourselves to the church, we are commending our spirits to each other. We're committing ourselves to our spirit and joining together with each other to serve God. 
We most certainly are not spiritual, but not religious. We are religious because we are spiritual. And we are spiritual because we are religious. Amen.